The following is a CJBT Productions podcast. This is Music History Today, the weekly edition podcast number 189. This week, we look at the Best New Artist Grammys, review Little Mix's new album, and we make the case for putting Pat Benatar into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Before we get into it, let's get the podcasting business out of the way. As always, some of the music for this podcast was written and produced by songwriter and producer Hey Joe C. You can find the full versions of her songs that are played here along with the rest of her music on her SoundCloud. We also did a four-part podcast series where we went through all of her music track by track. You can check out her podcast called The Evolution of Hey Joe C. And I think for the holiday week, I am going to post them again, just so people are more aware of this amazing talent. Hey Joe C. is also a model, has an Instagram and a Patreon, so just click her links to all of her other projects in this podcast show notes. Next... Even though it is a holiday week next week, that week, of course, being sandwiched in between Christmas and New Year's, we're still going to do a regular episode next week. We will do the 2020 Year in Review episode on January 4th because the year doesn't end until December 31st and things actually do happen even though the other podcasts and publications take the week off and don't think that they happen. For instance, the Boxing Day tsunami, which killed thousands of people, which no one covered back then because they were all on vacation. Go figure. So, there will be a new episode next week. Regular episode, not a best of. The best of, January 4th. And it will probably also have some new stuff in it as well. Also, I have decided after playing around with the Friday podcast for a couple of months now and testing out different ideas and whatnot, exactly what I am going to do starting the first Friday in January, i.e. only a couple weeks from now, The Friday podcast will be a best of where I take the best segments from all the other podcasts that I have done during the week and throw them in there and also put in one or two segments for some new podcasts that I will be putting up on my new Patreon, which officially will start in January. I will give you the link and all the information. It's not going to be expensive. I know that there are some people who charge even $100 or more for their actual Patreons. Uh, not not with this. And at, people don't have that kind of money. So what I will do is it will probably only be... It will be different tiers, I believe. But I don't think that the tier is going to go higher than like $10, $15 for the, the tallest one. I mean, it's podcast. We're not, you know, doing modeling or something like that. So that is the plan. I will let you know about that next week, I believe, provided I can get my acting gear and actually get everything ironed out this week. We'll see how it goes. It is still the holiday week after all many things to do before then. 
reason why I'm drawing this part out is because, honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of news this week because everybody's winding down for the holidays. All the businesses are closing up. Productions are closing for a couple weeks on vacation, even though they technically had, you know, six months off. But whatever. Let's get on to the news that actually did happen in the music industry. Little Mix has officially announced that Jesse has officially left the group. My assumption is a solo career is coming up next year. HBO has lost its bid in court to try to declare its 28-year-old non-disparagement agreement with Michael Jackson's estate null and void after HBO violated that agreement by producing the documentary Leaving Neverland, and what a butcher of a job that documentary was. Don't get me started. The dispute will now apparently go to arbitration, which HBO is trying to avoid. They're going to pay for what they did. Not good. A medical study was conducted in Barcelona, Spain last week on the effectiveness of doing same-day testing of concert goers. No word on the results of the volunteer study slash concert as of yet. There were, unfortunately, three passings this past week. Always tough any time of the year, but especially around the Christmas season. Rest in peace to Pauline Anna Strom. Pauline was a composer of early electronic music back in the 1970s, using a Tascam 4-track recorder along with her synthesizer. She stopped putting out music for a couple of decades, for whatever reason that was, but recently had a rebirth of sorts when an anthology of her work was released in 2017. It was recently announced that Pauline was going to put out a new album next February. Pauline's cause of death was not announced. Pauline Anna Strom was 74 years old. Rest in peace to David Fitzgerald. David was the original guitarist of the group The Telescopes. The Telescopes were a late 80s, early 90s dream pop English band whose hits included Flying and The Perfect Needle. David passed away from cancer. David Fitzgerald was 54 years old. And rest in peace to Ewan McLeod. Ewan was a Scottish TV star and DJ who helped to launch Beats 106 radio station. He was also a music correspondent for the Sunday Mail. Ewan's death was sudden and unexpected, although the exact cause was not announced as of yet, at least. Ewan McLeod was 48 years old. For the next few weeks or so, we're going to go through the history of the Grammy Awards by highlighting one of the big four categories because the Grammys are coming up at the end of January. Actually, simple enough. This week, we're going to talk about the history of what is sometimes called the dreaded Kiss of Career Death Award, better known as the Best New Artist Grammy. The Grammy Awards were started in 1958 by the National Academy of the Recording Arts and Sciences. They were originally called the Gramophone Awards. The Best New Artist Award is now given to a new artist who releases, quote, during the eligible year, the first recording, which establishes the public identity of that artist, end quote. That now doesn't mean the debut album, unlike in years past, though. The award was first given out in 1959 and has been controversial on more than a few occasions, sometimes because of who won, 
sometimes because of who was left off of the initial list, and sometimes the controversy comes from what happened to the artist after they won the award, or as I like to call it, the career kiss of death. We'll get to that part later. One time, the award became controversial immediately after the fact because of a scandal. And you probably know which one, but we'll get into that as well. Over the course of the award, it's been won by a couple of jazz artists, a few comedians, a couple of all-around entertainers, a few country artists, and a few hip-hop artists. 26 of the awards have been won by female solo artists. Male solo artists have only won the award 11 times. In fact, from 1993 to 2005, no male solo artist won the award. Four artists have won Best New Artist and Album of the Year. Two artists have lost Best New Artist but won Album of the Year. EDM artists, by the way, have, despite being one of the most dominant genres of the past decade or so, only been nominated twice. Skrillex in 2012 and The Chainsmokers in 2017. Neither of them won. A couple of times, the presumptive nominees and the winners of the awards for those years were not even nominated due to technicalities. This happened a couple of times in the 1980s when both Richard Marks and Whitney Houston were ruled ineligible for consideration because both had done songs on other artists' albums before putting out their own debut album. In 2010, Lady Gaga was ruled ineligible because her first release of Just Dance happened two years earlier and was nominated for an award that year. Due to Gaga's exclusion, the rule changed so that now you can be eligible so long as you didn't put out an entire album before or won a Grammy before for a single. Also, the rules changed in 2016 because the Academy finally caught up with the times and realized that the way artists were putting out music was different from before. For the past couple of years, the category has gone from five to eight nominees. And as of right now, at least, the rules state that in order to be considered, you, one, must have released a minimum of five singles or tracks or one album, but no more than 30 singles or tracks or three albums. The, quote, no more than 30 has now been tinkered with a bit to be a little bit more subjective as of a 2020 rule change. Number two, you may not have entered into this category more than three times, including as a performing member of an established group, which means that, well, anybody like, say, Eric Clapton would not have been eligible as a solo artist, especially since he was already in other groups that were big at the time, like Cream. Three, you must have achieved a breakthrough into the public consciousness and impacted the musical landscape during the eligibility period. The original mission statement of the award was to pick an artist based on artistic merit and not based on commercial appeal, so that last rule kind of seems to fly in the face of all of that. Also, the entire nominating process has been called into question by the former president of the Recording Academy, who was fired under some, let's be nice about it and say extremely questionable circumstances. She has since accused the Academy of, quote, rigging, end quote, the awards, and for also being racist. Lawsuits, of course, are flying everywhere on this. It is worth noting, though, that this past year, the Academy finally invited a lot more black and female artists to join the Academy in order to diversify its mainly older white male voting bloc. The first award for Best New Artist 
1959 went to Bobby Darren, which wasn't a bad pick considering he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Other picks as the 1960s came around did pretty well. For instance, the Beatles in 1964 and Tom Jones in 1966. Bob Newhart became the first comedian to get the award, while Peter Nero was the first jazz musician in 1962, and Bobby Gentry in 1968 was the first female to get it, although her career pretty much went bust soon thereafter. Other winners in the 1960s included entertainer Robert Goulet, Jose Feliciano, and the Swingle Sisters. They did not give out an award in 1967 for some reason, even though Simon and Garfunkel would have been eligible for the award that year. Also not nominated for the Best New Artist Award in any year of the 1960s were every major Motown act that you can think of for that era. Not the Supremes, not Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, not Marvin Gaye, not Gladys Knight and the Pips, not the Four Tops, not the Temptations, not the Jackson Five, none of them. The 1970s started out pretty well with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, The Carpenters, Carly Simon, America, Bette Midler, composer Marvin Hamlish, and Natalie Cole all winning. And then the kiss of career death started creeping up. The award went through a period where, if you won the award, your career was effectively over. In 1977, the Starland Vocal Band of one-hit wonder Afternoon Delight fame beat out Boston and the Brothers Johnson to win. Starland Vocal Band pretty much disappeared right after. In 1978, Debbie Boone, who was Pat Boone's daughter and the singer of the one-hit mega-hit, You Light Up My Life, beat out Stephen Bishop, Sean Cassidy, Foreigner, and Andy Gibb to win. All of those, except for Debbie Boone, ended up having good careers. As far as Debbie went, career DOA. 1979, same basic thing. Two-hit disco wonders A Taste of Honey beat out The Cars, Elvis Costello, and Toto. Two of those artists are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, while Toto had a great career. A Taste of Honey, by the way? Well, after Boogie Oogie Oogie and Sukiyaki, that was pretty much it. 1980 kept the trend of artists going into the career relocation program going with Ricky Lee Jones, who had the big hit Chucky's in Love. Then the 1980s started to write the ship again with Christopher Cross, who was the first artist to win all four major award categories in the same year, that being Best New Artist, Album of the Year, Song of the Year, and Record of the Year. Then came Sheena Easton, Men at Work, Culture Club, Cyndi Lauper, Charday, Bruce Hornsby in the Range, Jody Watley, and Tracy Chapman, all winning against high-quality nominees, and all of them having really good careers. Then, well, 1990 happened. Millie Vanilli beat out Nana Cherry, the Indigo Girls, Tone Loke, and Soul to Soul to win. Funny thing is that all of those artists imploded after the award. Millie Vanilli became the first Grammy Award winner to have their award taken away from them after their singing scandal broke out. The Grammys didn't give the award to the second place entry. They simply vacated the award. In retrospect, that was actually good because musically, all of the other nominees' careers were also done after that year, earning the entire category that year the career kiss of death. The committee picked well, though, in 1991 with Mariah Carey. But soon, career's Grim Reaper appeared again. In 1992, when Mark Cohen won and then Arrested Development won in 1993. 
1992, by the way, was also the last time that a solo male artist won the award for 13 years. 1994 had Tony Braxton winning, and then 1995, Sheryl Crow won. Both had great careers. Hootie and the Blowfish won in 1996, but they were two album wonders, and they broke up for about 20 years or so. Their competition that year, by the way, was Shania Twain, Brandy, and Alanis Morissette, who actually won Album of the Year that year for Jagged Little Pill. Alanis became one of only two Best Artist nominees who lost the award, but ended up winning Album of the Year that year. The other was Von Meter, by the way, in 1963. 1997 had Leanne Rimes, 98 had Paula Cole, and 99 had Lauren Hill, all of whom struck gold the first time out, and then, much like a gold rush town, went bust quickly thereafter. As the new millennium rolled in, the men finally got a win when John Legend won in 2006, Maroon 5 won in 2005. Otherwise, it was pretty much the ladies all the way through the category for that decade, starting off with Christina Aguilera in 2000, Shelby Lynn, Alicia Keys, Carrie Underwood, Amy Winehouse, and Adele, who all had great careers. The female-fronted band Evanescence won in 2004, but burned out for about a decade or so. They have since begun a renaissance period of sorts. Nora Jones won in 2003 as part of a huge year for her with a ton of awards, and while she continues to put out albums to this day, she has never come close to having a major success since that year. The 2010s were where you saw some major controversy, mainly thanks to social media backlash. 2010 saw the Zac Brown Band beating artists who disappeared afterwards. 2011 was a pretty controversial year. The nominees who lost were Drake, who wasn't Drake at that point, but he had a good year that year. Florence and the Machine, Mumford and Sons, and the odds-on favorite for the award that year, Justin Bieber. All of those artists, who went on to have great careers of their own, lost to jazz artist Esperanza Spaulding, who's no slouch in the jazz world, mind you, but considering the competition that year, you can see why people were more than a little upset and why they also call in the Granny Awards sometimes. It should also tell you something about Grammy voters. They tend to be old and vote very safely and conservatively. That's why either country or adult contemporary artists like Nora Jones, Santana, recent winner Casey Musgraves ended up winning the award, the uh, Album of the Year award for most of those years. It's just what the Grammys do. They always play it safe and quiet. 2012 saw Bon Iver beating Nicki Minaj, which was controversial, but really both have had great careers, so it wasn't that controversial. Fun beat Frank Ocean in 2013, which was also controversial because while everybody is waiting for Frank's next release, Fun is... Hey, whatever happened to Fun? Neither one of those wins, though, created as much uproar as 2014, which was the year that Macklemore and Ryan Lewis beat presumptive winner Kendrick Lamar. That win was so unpopular that Macklemore apologized to Kendrick for winning and said that Kendrick should have won the award, which may or may not have been true. Kendrick went on to have a great career, and Macklemore and Ryan Lewis are, well, hey, whatever happened to Macklemore and Ryan Lewis? Hmm. Anyway, Ed Sheeran, James Blake, and Casey Musgraves were also nominated that year, just for the record. Safe to say that as of now, the award curse has bit Macklemore, since the other four have had an amazing career, while Macklemore is, well, not so much. 
Although he did just come out with something that's beginning to get a little buzz. There was also the racism factor that most people claimed with Macklemore's win, as a lot of people felt that the Academy was more comfortable giving the award to a white hip-hop artist than a black one. 2015 wasn't controversial, as Sam Smith won over Iggy Azalea in Bastille. 2016 was the year Megan Trainer won. Everybody felt that the award was won by the right person in 2017 when Chance the Rapper won it. Alicia Cara won in 2018. That was a good choice as well. In 2019, the number of nominees increased from five to eight. Dua Lipa, by the way, won that year. 2020 was the year that Billie Eilish became the first female and the second artist to win all four major categories, including Best New Artist, in the same calendar year. By the way, Adele has also won all four of the major awards, but she did it in different years. As far as 2021 goes, the nominees for the upcoming Best New Artist category for this coming Grammy ceremony are Ingrid Andres, Phoebe Bridgers, Chica, Noah Cyrus, D Smoke, Doja Cat, Katranada, and Megan the Stallion. Katranada being the first. EDM nominee since the Chainsmokers in 2017. A very eclectic mix indeed for the upcoming ceremony. I think I know who's odds-on favorite to win it. Megan the Stallion, I'm just going to say it right now. Uh, although Doja Cat could pull an upset, just saying. Where the award nominees go from here, though, is relatively uncertain, although so far Megan the Stallion is having a nice career. The only things that are certain, though, is that some future winners from this list will go on to have great careers, and some winners are just going to crash and burn right after winning it. And, of course, everyone on the Internet, well, they'll have something to say about it. It is time for me to make what feels like my weekly case for putting more women into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Honestly, I have no idea why they won't put more women in. It just seems to be kind of stupid at this point. And yet, I will continue to push the subject. So let's keep going with that whole theme by talking about Pat Benatar, who is, by the way, a four-time Grammy Award winner. She has had two multi-platinum albums, five platinum albums, and 15 top 40 hits. What is most important is that during her career, she fought against her record company numerous times concerning her image and made it a little easier for women in rock to gain some respect in the industry, which, let's be honest, is way overdue. She was also the second artist and the first female artist whose video was played on MTV when You Better Run was played right after the Buggles classic video, Video Killed the Radio Star. Now, if you want to get your feet wet with her, then go with her greatest hits album, Best Shots. That album has all her hits, like Love is a Battlefield, Hit Me With Your Best Shot, Shadows of the Night, and many more. If you want a deep dive, then I would go with the albums In the Heat of the Night, Crimes of Passion, Precious Time, Get Nervous, and Live from Earth. Pat Benatar was actually nominated for the Hall last year, and for the first few weeks of the fan vote, she was actually leading 
Then the Dave Matthews Band fan army helped to take the fan vote away. However, neither band, shockingly, ended up in the hall last year, despite their very strong fan vote performance. If the hall is serious about putting more women into its ranks, which I doubt, but let's just say that they are, then they can definitely start by putting Pat Benatar into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because she definitely deserves to be inducted. Back in 2003, a Dance Music Hall of Fame was formed. It was started by John Parker of Robbins Entertainment. He enlisted the help of a few other industry vets, and they held an annual dinner in New York City. They split the hall into artists, records, producers, DJs, remixers, and non-performers. They started off okay with a bunch of disco artists, but the hall only lasted for two years before they stopped inducting people. Well, yours truly is bringing it back. Sort of. I am starting my own dance music hall of fame, only I'm expanding the idea. This hall will be known as the EDM Hall of Fame. My criteria will be for any inductee as follows. First, it's anybody who's been in the EDM business for at least 10 years. That means vocalists, DJs, producers, remixes or remixers, and record labels. It also means that your more popular guys from the 2010s like the Chainsmokers will not be eligible for a while got to be around at least 10 years in order for me to consider you for a Hall of Fame. Second, we'll concentrate on what people know as EDM today. Trance, house, trip-hop, dubstep, etc. However, we're also going to induct artists who were either part of what was considered EDM in the 1980s and 90s, i.e. techno, synth-pop, Eurodance, certain dance and R&B, New Jack Swing, freestyle, big beat, or who influenced EDM, genres such as disco and funk back in the 1970s. We're also going to induct albums, songs, and technology that were important to EDM and had an impact on EDM. This is, of course, my Hall of Fame, and not an official one, so my opinion is strictly mine. It would be nice, though, if someone finally did do an actual dance music Hall of Fame and put it somewhere, anywhere, Europe, New York, doesn't matter, just do one finally. This week, we're going back to one of the genres that was the forerunner of what you call EDM these days, disco. The man who we're inducting into the EDM Hall of Fame this week is probably someone you've never heard of. However, without him, disco might not have happened in the manner that it did. Earl Donald Young was born in 1940 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He became a session musician in the 1960s in Philly and was instrumental in helping to create what is known as the Philly Soul Sound. Starting at Arctic Records, then Phil L.A. of Soul and Philadelphia International Records. 
He was also part of the musicians collective called MFSB at the Sigma Sound Studios, where he worked with the legendary songwriting team of Gamble and Huff and backed up artists such as the OJs, the Stylistics, the Spinners, and Wilson Pickett. He was also the founder and leader of a group called the Volcanoes, which became the disco group The Tramps, who had the huge disco hit Disco Inferno from the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Now, while all of that is great for putting him into any Hall of Fame, honestly, and he is actually inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame in Nashville, Tennessee, that's not why he's going into the EDM Hall of Fame. It's what he did on one particular song that is why we're putting him in. In 1973, Gamble and Huff wrote a ballad for the group Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes called The Love I Lost. The group took the song and turned it into a more danceable song. Earl Long, who was the session drummer for that song, took it two steps further and unknowingly invented an entire genre. R&B and funk music, in fact, most music, is built around the strong beats of a 4x4 rhythm coming in on beats 2 and 4. It's what gives music that sense of drive and makes you want to move with the music. What Earl did was he made all four beats of the song the strong beats, and he did it by loudly using his kick drum on every beat. He also added a hi-hat symbol on the off beats, a term called syncopation. The constant thud of the bass drum, along with the unorthodox way the hi-hat symbol was used, is what became the signature sound of disco. Once you hear that beat and the symbol being used that way, along with probably some violins being played in the song, you automatically know that you're listening to a disco song. That method came to be known as Four on the Floor. And it's what drives disco, and now house and trance music, to this very day. As for the song The Love I Lost, not only did it end up being the first disco song, it became a huge hit, selling over one million copies, along with hitting number seven on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, and was number one on the Billboard R&B chart. Earl Young didn't know it at the time, but he helped to create disco, and along with it, trance, house, and EDM, which is why we induct Earl Young into our EDM Hall of Fame. Mix have a new album out called Confetti. This 13-song collection is another in a long line of auto-tuned girl group dance pop that's flooded the market for the past decade. Let's give credit where credit is due, though. This is the group's sixth album, and despite the overproduced nature of the album, the songwriting is actually really good. If you can get past the homogenous sound of the album, then stream this album because the songwriting holds up. It's just sloppy on the execution. Fanna Hughes has a 10-song R&B album called Hughes. Again, the songwriting is solid, just like Little Mix's album. Unlike Little Mix's album, though, the execution is much better. Fana's voice is smooth as hot butter, 
Great songwriting and great vocals make for a great combination. I would absolutely playlist this album. Pale Honey has a cool rock album out called Sometime Alone. These ten songs aren't hard rock, but more like alternative. The songs are very well written, the production value is really good, and I would also playlist this album as well. Alaska Reed also has a rock album called Big Bunny. This album runs along the same lines as Pale Honey's great songwriting and great vocals. In fact, both Pale Honey and Alaska Reed should tour together, to be honest with you. They complement each other's sounds extremely well. I would playlist this album as well. And the Avalanches release their new album called We Will Always Love You. This genre-breaking album is categorized as alternative, which I think is music's way of filing music that it can't pinpoint a particular genre to. This is the Melbourne, Australia group's third album, and they brought an impressive lineup of collaborators to these 25 songs. Perry Farrell, Nana Cherry, Blood Orange, Mick Jones, and Tricky are among those tapped on here adding life to a really good album. In fact, I would buy this album. Time for a little chart action, starting off, as always, with the granddaddy of them all, Billboard magazine. Top album, Shawn Mendes, Wonder. Top single, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You, which also happens to be the top streaming song for the week. Top artist and top social media artist are BTS. Top radio song, 24 Karat Golden and Ian Dior's Mood. Top digital sales song, BTS's Life Goes On. Shawn Mendes's Wonder is also the top sales album, the top current sales album, and the top vinyl album. The top catalog sales album is Michael Bublé's Christmas. And the top independent album is Bad Bunny's El Ultimo Tour del Mundo. The top pop song is 24 Karat Golden and Ian Dior's Mood. Top adult contemporary song is Megan Trainer and Seth MacFarlane's White Christmas. Top adult pop song is Ava Max's Kings and Queens. On the country charts, top country album, Carrie Underwood's My Gift. That would be her Christmas album. Top country song is Gabby Barrett's I Hope. And the top country streaming song and top country digital sales song is Brenda Lee's Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Top Billboard Rock Song is 24 Karat Golden and Ian Dior's Mood. Top Rock Album, Miley Cyrus's Plastic Hearts. Top Rock Streaming Song, Chuck Berry's Run Rudolph Run. Top Digital Sales Song, AJR's Bang. Top Mainstream Rock Song, Foo Fighters, Shame, Shame. Top Hard Rock Album, Queen's Greatest Hits. Top Hard Rock Song, ACDC's Shot in the Dark. And the Top Hard Rock Streaming Song and Top Hard Rock Digital Sales Song is, again, Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Christmas Eve Sarajevo 1224. On the alternative charts, 24 Karat Golden and Ian Dior's Mood is still the top alternative song and the top alternative streaming song. Top alternative digital sales song is AJR's Bang. Top alternative album, Taylor Swift's Folklore. And top adult alternative song, Camp. C-A-A-M-P, by the way. Name of the song is Officer of Love. On the rap charts, top rap song, 24 Karat Golden and Ian Dior's Mood. Top rap album, Pop Smoke, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon. Top rap streaming song, Lil Baby's On Me. 
top rap digital sales song, Megan the Stallion, Body. On the R&B charts, top R&B song is The Weeknd's Blinding Lights. Top R&B album is Nat King Cole's The Christmas Song. Top R&B streaming song is The Ronettes' Sleigh Ride. Top R&B digital sales song, Mariah Carey, Ariana Grande, and Jennifer Hudson with Oh Santa. Top adult R&B song, Trey Songs and Summer Walker's Back Home. And top mainstream R&B rap song is Janae Aiko uh, and her name of the song, B.S. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You dominates the global charts. If you exclude the United States, though, Bad Bunny and Jay Cortez's Dakiti dominates the global chart. That also, by the way, happens to be the top Latin song and the top Latin streaming song. The top Latin album is also Bad Bunny, but it is El Ultimo Tour del Mundo. Top Latin digital sales song, Jose Feliciano's Feliz Navidad. And Selena's Ones is the top Latin pop album. Top Canadian song is 24 Karat Golden and Ian Dior's Mood. Top Canadian album, Sean Mendez's Wonder. Top Canadian digital sales song, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Top Japanese song is Sakura Zaka, Sakura Zaka 46. There we go. Got the emphasis on the right syllable. Name of the song, Nobody's Fault. Top K-pop song in the country of South Korea, BTS Dynamite. On the UK charts, top UK song, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Top UK album, Youngblood, Weird. Top UK digital sales song, Mental as Anything, Live It Up. And the top Euro digital sales song is for yet another week, Master KG, Burna Boy, and Nomsebo Zikodi with Jerusalem. On the holiday charts, three guesses as to who's number one. I've already said her name a ton of times. Mariah, All I Want for Christmas is You, also happens to be the top holiday streaming song. The top holiday album, though, is Michael Bublé's Christmas, and the top holiday digital sales song also has Mariah, but it's the one with Ariana Grande and Jennifer Hudson. It is Oh Santa from her TV special, or streaming special, I should say. As always, the EDM charts are not covered on this podcast. They're covered on the EDM podcast, which drops every Tuesday at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That is, as always, 4 a.m. Chicago Time, 2 a.m., on the West Coast in L.A., if you live in London at the moment, and God help you if you do, because you're back in severe lockdown at this point, then you can find it at 10 a.m. You can find it in Paris at 11 a.m., in Moscow at high noon, and if you happen to live in Hong Kong, you or actually Tokyo, you can find it at 7 p.m. Tuesday evening. There you go. In other chart news, Apple, Eminem, who surprise dropped an album that we're going to review next week, Mur- Music to be Murdered by Side B, which is just a continuation of the album that he dropped in January. The top single on Apple is Lily Rose's Villain. On the Spotify charts, the top global streaming song is Bad Bunny and Jay Cortez's Dakiti. Top American streaming song is Taylor Swift's Willow. And the top UK streaming song is Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. On the YouTube charts, only one of these actually changed from last week. In America, the top song in the top music video is still Future and Drake's Life is Good. In the UK, the top song is Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. However, the top music video in the UK did change. It is now CJ with Whoop D. Globally on YouTube, the top song is still Indian. 
as is the top music video. The top song is Renuka Panwar with 52 Gaj Ka Daman. And the top music video is Afsana Khan with Titlilian. On the HitsDailyDouble.com, top album is Shawn Mendes's Wonder. Top song revenue chart, Mariah Carey repeats at number one with All I Want for Christmas is You. But this week goes up in revenue from $123,000 roughly to $143,000 this past week. Sales revenue stayed roughly the same, up from 6100 to 6600 Streaming revenue is where it kicked in, going from 117000 to 137000 U.S. dollars. On Shazam, the top one U.S. single is 24 Karat Golden and Ian Dior's Mood. Meanwhile, in the UK, the top Shazammed single is Shane Codd's Get Out My Head. On the BBC radio charts, BBC One Radio's top single is Disclosure in Khalees with Watch Your Step. BBC Two Radio's top single is Jess Glynn with This Christmas. On the Rolling Stone charts, magazine that is, Top song, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You with 26 million streams. Top album, Taylor Swift's Evermore. Taylor Swift also happens to be the top streamed artist of the week. This week, it was 195.5 million streams, which is pretty amazing. Top trending song is For King and Country with Do You Hear What I Hear. And the Rolling Stone magazine fastest rising artist of last month was Davido. This week, there will be new releases from, well, nobody. No one has an official release coming out on Christmas Day that we know of. Eminem surprise dropped one this past week. Who knows if anybody will surprise drop one on Christmas, but that would be a pretty slick move if they did. As of right now, though, there is no one scheduled to do it. And that is it for Music History Today, the weekly edition podcast number 189. For more music podcasts, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, Spotify, TuneIn, Podbean, Hubhopper, OnlyFans, and Patreon, all under Music History Today. Everybody have yourselves a great day and safe, especially you guys in the UK who are going through this new strain of COVID holiday season. We'll get back at you next week. You can find us on our website at www.cjbtproductions.com. Our email address is musichistorytoday at gmail.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at cjbtproductions. Our Facebook page is Music History Today. Also, our SoundCloud is Music History Today. And you can find us on YouTube by searching Music History Today. This has been a CJBT Productions podcast. Thank you very, very much for listening. (laughs) 